banks are being asked and helped to basically, uh, you know, go easy on struggling borrowers. These these kind of measures are the, the most effective in dampening and mitigating the, the pain that is being caused by this crisis. Well, sadly, we've run out of time. Thank you all very much for your comments this morning. You heard there Louis Coyce, Head of Asia Economics at Oxford Economics, Stuart Allcroft, Chairman of City Trust, and our International Economics Correspondent, Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. U.S. stock index futures are slipping here in Asian trading this morning. The S&P 500 futures down now about 0.6%, and that's dragging Asian stocks lower. The ASX 200 in Australia off 1.7%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is down uh, about 1%. The Cosby in South Korea is off about 0.9%, and looks like the Hang Seng is going to slip about 300 points at the open. That's one and a quarter percent. In the commodities markets, all eyes on OPEC and the G20 oil ministers meeting on Friday. Brent crude oil currently trading at $33.14 a barrel. Gold slipping a little bit now. It's at $1,648 an ounce. And in the currency markets, the US dollar also a bit lower now against the Japanese yen. It's trading at 108.5. The British pound at $1.23.3 cents. Thank you very much for listening today. Do please join me tomorrow morning for the final Money Talk before the Easter break. Uh, the weather forecasts for today, mainly cloudy, dry with sunny periods and a maximum temperature of about 22 degrees. Sunny periods with temperatures rising in the next couple of days and a few showers over the weekend. The weather will improve on Sunday, which of course is Easter Sunday. And the temperature right now is 20 degrees, 70% relative humidity. It's coming up to 8.32. Here's Samantha Butler with the Half Hour News. A top microbiologist has warned against complacency despite fewer imported coronavirus cases being reported and local transmissions remaining stable. Social distancing measures and closures of entertainment venues will expire at the end of the week and the government has said it may extend the measures. Dr Siddharth Sridhar from the University of Hong Kong appeared to support prolonging the measures. Not a time for complacency. I do notice that many people have the attitude that once you wear a surgical mask, you're basically immune from COVID-19 and you can go about to restaurants or shopping malls or other indoor areas without concern for yourself or your family. That's simply not true. Surgical masks do not protect you 100%, so it's still important to keep up these distancing measures until we can really be sure that community transmission is not happening in Hong Kong. The lockdown has been lifted in the city of Wuhan in Hubei province on the day that China registered no new deaths in its official coronavirus figures, a symbolic moment despite lingering questions about the veracity of the official numbers. Here's the BBC's John Sudworth. After its initial faltering steps, China eventually hit this virus hard, shutting its whole economy down. And while there is some doubt about the detail of the official figures, it's clear the government believes the trend is going in the right direction. The priority now is to cautiously get the economy going again, which is why today we've seen something that few people would have thought possible a couple of months ago, the reopening of the city where this whole thing began. England's chief medical officer says Britain has a lot to learn from Germany's response to the pandemic. Chris Whitty said Germany had got ahead by carrying out around 50,000 tests a day for the disease. The Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab said the condition of the Prime Minister Boris Johnson was stable in intensive care. Here's the BBC's Jonathan Blake. 
An update from Downing Street this evening suggested no change to the Prime Minister's condition. A spokesman said he remained stable, under close monitoring in intensive care and in good spirits. Earlier, the Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab, who is standing in for Boris Johnson, described him as a fighter and said he was confident that he would recover. Asked whether he had the authority to take decisions while the Prime Minister was too ill to work, said ministers were united in implementing Mr Johnson's clear instructions. Mr Raab said it was too soon to take any decision on extending or easing restrictions put in place to slow the spread of coronavirus. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your co-host this morning is Rachel Cartland. Good morning. Good morning, Danny. In today's show, as British Prime Minister Boris Johnson becomes the first major world leader to go into intensive care, we'll be asking how well or how badly have other countries handled the coronavirus pandemic by comparison with Hong Kong. New York, Italy, Spain all seem to be showing signs of passing the peak of their huge outbreaks. But New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said that Hong Kong had made a mistake in letting its guard down too soon. And the Big Apple doesn't want to fall into the same trap. So do you agree? How well are we handling the pandemic by comparison with the US and the UK? We'll be talking to guests who've experienced the coronavirus outbreak in both countries. And we want to hear your views. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Or email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can give us a call on 233-88266. That's 233-88266. Joining us for the first part of the discussion this, mo- this morning, we have uh, Suzanne Satterlin, who is an independent journalist uh, uh, currently in the United States. And um, after nine o'clock, we'll be joined by economist Chip Cho, who was recently in the UK, and also Joseph Lee, Joseph Lee, the health healthcare sector lawmaker. Uh, Suzanne, uh, good morning. Or good uh, good evening. Good morning. Well, evening. <laughs> Thank you Thank for joining you. us. Uh, now, as I mentioned at the start, I don't know if you were watching it. The, where are you? you? You're on the East Coast, right? I'm, I'm two hours uh, northeast of New York City. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, as I mentioned, um, the, the New York governor actually, um, in, um, um, in, his, in his press conference exactly. uh, yesterday, he, he actually he pointed to Hong Kong. He said, we made a mistake. <clears throat> we'd have made a mistake in letting our guard down. And um, uh, he doesn't want New York to do the same. You, you, you've had experience. You, you've been here, right? Or following the outbreak partly here and um, now over in the U.S. What, what's your opinion of how um, uh, the two places have handled the, the outbreak? Well, I haven't. I have to say I haven't been in Hong Kong, sadly, since December. Um, so I, I would I guess I was there for the start of it, but I didn't. We didn't know that it had started. Um, so, um, I mean, look. I think uh, a lot of the epidemiologists and even family physicians and people in the community have been heartened by how well Hong Kongers have self-regulated and taken upon themselves to sanitize and wear masks and stay away from one another. And I know a slew of young people who do not need to be told to stay in. They do it. They take it seriously. And um, I think that is going to be challenging um, after 
these grinding, grinding months of this because how long can you stay in a 300, 400-square-foot flat with your two or three family members? And people want to resume their lives. So I think um, the government does have a challenge in trying to figure out how to get people integrated back into the normal lives. Uh, at the same time, you don't want to all sicken one another. At the same time, you are going to, at some point, Hong Kong is going to have to allow in people from other places. Yeah. And um, that's, that's actually what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting to see <laughs> when I can go back. Was well, this why you haven't been in Hong Kong for, for such a while? Because, um, because of the quarantine restrictions? Yeah, part, no, partly for family reasons, and, and, and it seemed unethical to fly into a pandemic and inflict myself um, uh, on the doctors and nurses there. It just didn't seem like the right thing to do, and it was also seemed so I wanted to make sure I could get out. I have a 93-year-old mom, and uh, I was worried that they would shut down so much that I wouldn't be able to get out, and I already went through that in August, and I don't want to do that again. Okay, it's really interesting to get that perspective. I think we in Hong Kong would say that the population on the whole is still managing pretty well. Uh, I don't know if you were here during SARS in 2003, but I think that's prov provided such a sort of essential background to what people are willing to do here. And it's interesting to hear you say that the epidemiologists and so on are congratulating the Hong Kong people. How about the Hong Kong medical establishment? Are there any kind words for them? I mean, I don't, I've talked, well, I haven't talked to epidemiologists here about Hong Kong epidemiologists. Um, I wrote about the Hong Kong situation, so I talked with doctors there. Um, and so, no, I don't have a sense of whether they feel that Hong Kong managed this effectively, uh, except I do hear, um, you hear more about some of the measures that were taken uh, by Hong Kong, South Korea, and Taiwan in terms of tracking and testing. I mean, one of the, I, I do have to say, it's not the, um, it's not the doctors only that um, are credited. It is the government that is credited overseas, um, by people overseas, with making sure that people are tested and have access to fast results. And that's been one of the big blunders here in America. Um, I mean, catastrophic blunders. Even people who uh, know they're sick, and their doctors are convinced they're sick, cannot get tests. But that's, and they are, I'm sorry, sir? Yeah, that's not confined to America, is it? I mean, Europe and Britain in particular yeah. have had the same problem. Yeah, I've got, right. I've got relatives in the UK who are, who are medical personnel, fully qualified operational doctors who can't do a thing because for some reason or another they've been forced into self-isolation and can't find out whether they're fit to go back to work or not. It's extraordinary. Okay, well, we're talking about a couple different things there. There, there you're talking about uh, being able to um, appropriately... Uh, <sighs> Hello, Susan? Uh, yes. 
Sorry, we, we, we lost <laughs> you for a yeah, moment. But, but, the tide oh, sorry, of the... <laughs> please, please go, go on. So, yes, so, so I'm saying that, you, you know, I think there's a couple issues there. That's not just testing, but that's also making sure you have adequate number of staff and adequate, um, adequate personnel and, and, and that personnel is, is spread out throughout the country on top of the testing issue. Um, and I think here in New York, you've got, well, I'm outside of New York, but close, close in New York and in New Jersey and the near suburbs, uh, you, they seem to have, it's, it's not a dire issue, um, firstly, with personnel, but with uh, equipment and um, being able to address the needs of the patients who are so sick that they need to come in. Um, it seems that one of the worst issues in New York um, is the failing of the support personnel. The police, uh, the EMTs are getting sick. Um, you have firefighters who are getting sick, medics getting sick. Um, you don't hear yet, and I'm, I'm, this, is, this is one of the big questions, we don't hear yet of mass sickness uh, among doctors and nurses. Uh, a nurse I spoke to said that they're all convinced that they're carrying it. There's just no way because it's, it's congested and nobody's getting tested, and so they not, they're not, or people are getting tested, they're not getting the results back yet. And, and so they're mixing with people who are very sick, and they're probably putting patients with, who aren't carriers with patients that are carriers. So they really don't know who should be isolated and who should not. But the, the, the more dire circumstance is what's happening to the people who are going into people's homes and handling um, entire families and trying to make judgments as to whether somebody should be quarantine in a house or be pulled out and put in a hospital. These are, these are really, really horrific choices that are going on right now. And uh, the people who are paying are the, that, uh, for those frontline workers uh, who say they don't have enough equipment and are uh, consistently um, being faced with losing personnel and their managers having to acquisition and, and juggle resources to be able to make sure all these different units of firefighters and EMTs are working and able to serve. Let, um, let, so, I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead. Let, let's sorry. talk about the equipment um, issue for a moment, because I've seen you posting on, um, on Twitter saying that um, you're, you're lucky enough to have been sent N N95 masks by friends in Hong Kong and um, offering advice about how to distribute them and saying you don't give them to hospital administrators. They, they won't get to the frontline staff. I mean, j j just from your impression, just how, how serious is the equipment shortage? Oh, you hear about it all day long and all night long on the news. Um, and you have the, the saddest thing are these doctors and nurses that have made pleas, direct pleas to the public by posting videos and pleas on Twitter and on Facebook, we need the equipment. And um, sadly, I'm not getting the N95s like I was. Um, I mean, I never got a ton, but my friends in Hong Kong were incredibly generous and were able to find people who had stuff away 
and um, get people to donate. We're not raising money to have stuff made. I didn't want to be part of that, and I don't know how to make a mask. Um, but um, as, as generous as people are and as fast as I'm getting stuff sent to me by FedEx, this stuff goes out the door, and I'm already scrounging around looking for more things, and people are emailing me, my, my friend at the hospital in Brooklyn needs something desperately. So uh, one of the big questions I can't answer is, with all these massive donations that are being made by very well-meaning people, and Hong Kongers in New York have been uh, incredibly generous, and they have started efforts to donate equipment and raise money for it, we're not sure if hospitals get this stuff consistently. Um, I'm not sure. I've talked to nurses who say we keep getting the same N95s we've always gotten. We're not getting, you know, an unusual variety that would seem to indicate this is coming from other sources. Uh, a nurse up in the Bronx had told me that he's always getting the Honeywell N95. That's always what he's had. Or, I'm sorry, Kimberly Clark. Kimberly Clark, always what he's gotten. Um, I do think one of the issues, and the reason that I put that on my Twitter feed, is uh, some hospitals, like HHC, this is the public hospital system in New York City, uh, are leery of getting equipment that does not meet FDA standards. And in America, the liability for using faulty equipment in a hospital patient is, is no doubt going to be large. And they are, I, I can see that they're already leery of having just stuff walk off the street and being used. So, um, so you're this saying is they, why I feel, and I'm not the only one, people are giving directly to doctors and nurses and EMTs because we want to get it into their hands. They'd rather not have face masks or ventilators than, uh, than uh, take face masks or ventilators where well, they wait, can't the be ventilators 100. are a different thing. Yeah, no, the none of us are giving them ventilators. That's different. <laughs> yeah. That's for the but the same principle but would apply. But it's not that they don't have any, it's that they're reusing. Yeah, so bureau bureaucracy gone mad, huh? Well, it's the U.S. tort uh, tort system, isn't it? That uh, there's the danger of lawsuits yes. over almost anything. The the whole thing sounds unbelievably horrible. It, is this really a New York problem, or or uh, that? No, a, mm. no, it's an everywhere. It's an everywhere problem because for some unknown and one of the other. I mean, I'm sorry, I I get infuriated by stupidity and bad planning. For some unknown reason, even though there was a huge lag time between what was happening in Wuhan and then what was happening in Hong Kong and South Korea and Japan and Taiwan, American hospital officials didn't seem to plan for this mm. and didn't seem... Um, I would love to find somebody who did. Um, apparently, there are certain fire departments that, that stopped up, but hospitals are large, slow-moving beasts, and it's hard to get uh, them to, to move on a dime. But apparently they didn't take advantage of the several months' lead time, and they didn't stock up. And, and um, one doctor I talked to in Connecticut said, we just never saw, we never foresaw that this was going to be a Western problem. Okay, it wait. was a <coughs> over-there problem. Well, 
We're discussing the latest developments in the coronavirus outbreak, uh, specifically um, developments in the United States. You just heard uh, Suzanne Satterlin, um, who's currently in the United States. And um, after nine o'clock, we'll be talking to uh, Chip Cho, who's recently in the UK. Of course, the UK uh, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson now in intensive care. If you have any uh, thoughts, uh, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. You can go to our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free and leave a comment there. Let's just bring in a couple of emails now. First of all, a uh, rare email in uh, praise of the Hong Kong government. Uh, Alison says, the decision to make COVID-19 tests mandatory at the airport and specifically to retain UK arrivals at the test centres until their test results are available is certainly a wise move. Well done to the government. That's words you don't hear very often in correspondence. Uh, <laughs> and uh, just one more for the moment. Uh, Tom, uh, Tom, this, is actually, uh, this was actually sent yesterday, picking up on uh, comments um, on yesterday's back chat. Uh, Tom says, earlier Mr Pink said the government should be given credit for its COVID-19 effort. That's exactly what the government wants. Cash credit. Both the Education Bureau and the Hospital Authority are stipulating payment terms of one month in arrears when they are offered surgical masks by suppliers, instead of paying a deposit and cash on delivery. Is the government gambling on the initiatives for local mask manufacturers turning up Trumps? And Trumps, of course, spelt with a capital T there. <laughs> if so, they could then be left scrambling for masks when that comes up short. Again, handling finances and how to pay, such as the student allowance and the $10,000 handout, still outstanding. All of this is a government disaster. Who will be blamed when students return to school and a sufficient supply of masks is not available? Not the fact that the masks are scarce, just that Kerry and I gang won't pay up as usual. Regards, another angry parent. Thank you very much, Tom. <laughs> wow. Suzanne, if we could ask you again about what's going on in the US, it, it sounds absolutely horrible. How much do you think this can really be blamed on the head? Do, do we think that Trump should really take some uh, personal um, blame for this? I mean, I think there are plenty of people who think he didn't, he not only didn't take it seriously, um, and, and you can go back and, and listen on CNN nightly, where they they play clips of what Trump was saying in January and in February, and it was all going to disappear like a miracle. Um, and I think there are many people in America who feel that uh, in times of national emergency, and, and, and God knows this is one, uh, it is the president who is supposed to lead by example and uh, govern in a way that the people and organizations and entities beneath him, like the states, uh, will be assured that they will have backup. You can't really expect uh, every state in the nation uh, to be able to outfit their increasingly dwindling number of hospitals uh, with this uh, equipment. Uh, I mean, I'm sure the folks in Louisiana never, ever foresaw what was going to come their way. You would expect this in New York and, and, and L.A. and maybe, you know, throughout the coast. But Louisiana is, is, is one of the sadder and more shocking developments in this. Um, and where are they going to turn for help? 
uh, they're not going to get it from Alabama or other states nearby. They need the federal government. And you can hear nightly governors saying that they're not getting the help either uh, in terms of being able to allocate or be able to get the allocation of equipment or be able to get the financing to buy equipment. Um, So they're all competing with one another, and they're all pleading uh, for resources. And and one of the resources that people have have been pleading for are more personnel um, for certain hospitals that have run short. You you made... um, You asked me the question about, is this just New York? No. I mean, you can see that on the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal front pages. Um, This is a nationwide problem with uh, the certain large breakouts of this pandemic uh, becoming, uh, really crippling certain states that are just not equipped to deal with a pandemic in an area that already is strapped financially and um, it is not um, many of these states are very gray they have very old people um, and you know Louisiana I go back to Louisiana because I've been down there a lot I covered the place after Hurricane Katrina and um, it it's just pathetic what's happening there mm. and um, it's if they don't have help from the federal government, I'm not entirely sure where they're going to get help from. How about face masks? Um, are people wearing them? Do you wear one yourself? Is there any hostility to uh, wearing I got to tell you, when I told you I'm two and a half, two, two hours away, um, I am in the most distant suburb you can think of. Um, I can walk, I tell my Hong Kong friends, because they're like, wear a mask. They're very, very upset that I might go out without a mask, I can go for a two-hour walk and never encounter a soul where I am. Um, so I don't waste them on day-to-day uh, walking about. But when you're around other people, <clears throat> do you wear one and do you get any hostility for doing so? Go to the post office and stores, I wear a mask. Okay. okay. And I also wear, glo- I wear latex gloves, too. Uh, we have a call- caller, um, caller Mike, who, Mike, you're American, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yes, good morning. What are your comments? I'm, I'm, well, the fact that she's quoting CNN as some kind of a journalistic... Uh, <laughs> unbiased... I'm not quoting, sir. I'm just uh, saying well, that they, that's what they have on. I wasn't quoting. You reference CNN, uh, and of course, CNN is going to badmouth Mr. Trump. But I tell you what, if you go down, if you follow the deadline or if you follow the timeline, uh, every everything that Mr. Trump tried to do to... Uh, restrict China, restrict Europe, he got lambasted for it. Mike, every time you come on back chat, you're always coming on to tell us how what, what a great job Trump's doing. Well, uh, well, I think if you, if you look back in history and if you look back in what Obama did in the, uh, with the swine flu, there were 60 million Americans got infected with the swine flu and 12, what? 12,000 of them died. Yeah, are you sure about that yeah, 60 think, million I, figure? I think, I think, all you US, do is, why do you let Google people it. on who are just making up Google stuff? It. This is crazy. <laughs> and it was a small, and, and, no, and nobody in the media, go back in history, nobody in the media made a big deal about it in 2008, 2009. Just go back and Google Mike, it. Mike, I covered yes, it. Ma'am. People made a big deal out of it. 
I was in America then. I don't know if you were, but people made a big deal of it. I'm not sure what you're talking about. 10,000 Americans died of H1N1. Again? 10,000 Americans died of H1N1. Yeah, there was a, I think it was 12,000. But yeah. Anyway, 10, 12,000, right? It did not. It did not take the news as it has today. So you're saying... So that wasn't a pandemic. In the same in the same way, this is that was that was an epidemic, uh, but you're talking about every country now. And I, what is the death toll today in the United States? I mean, every day it's massive. Mike, nothing. Talk about the WHO. How long <laughs> did the WHO say that this? Why was are we? Not... Why are we? Why are we engaging in this? This is insane. Say again. I, this I, is I'm the sorry. Same. Why are we? What is your question? I don't think it's a question. It's an assertion. Can we move to somebody who actually has a question? Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. Uh, the only question I have is why is why would why would President Trump even be even be blamed for this? <laughs> why would somebody even bring? I don't up think he's blamed, sir. I'm listening. Okay, Suzanne, you've got 30 seconds. That's different. <laughs> okay, uh, Mike, is politics really the most important thing here? As I said, you always seem to bring this back to Trump. Mike? I th uh, well, no, I, I don't believe it is. And in fact, the problem is, is the states, the individual states, have not done their share in preparing for this. And so what they do at the very last, they say, oh, well, the federal government should help us out. Well, if they would have done their part and if they would have stockpiled their... Uh, uh, okay, I'm very sorry. I'm, I'm going to have to cut you off there because we are coming up to the news. That was Caller Mike. Thank you very much. Uh, stay with us. Uh, we'll continue the discussion after the news. The uh, weather forecast, mainly cloudy. It's going to be dry with some sunny periods during the day. Maximum temperature around 22 degrees. Currently, it's 20 degrees. The relative humidity is 72%. Stay with us. We'll be back in three minutes. <laughs> Outdoor exercise was introduced in the capital, Paris. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gitting, sitting in for Hugh Chiverton. Your co-host this morning is Rachel Cartland. In the second half of the show, we're continuing our discussion about um, how countries around the world have handled the coronavirus outbreak, focusing particularly on comparisons between the US, UK and Hong Kong. Um, joining us um, is uh, Chip Cho, a columnist and commentator who was recently in the UK and uh, Suzanne Satterlein, independent journalist in the US, is still with us and will be joined uh, later by Joseph Lee, the healthcare sector lawmaker. If you have any comments, do email us at backchatterrthk.hk. That's backchatterrthk.hk. Or you can go to our Facebook page and leave a comment on there. That's Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Uh, let's bring in a few comments from listeners. Uh, Mr Pink says... In response to your question as to how various governments have handled the virus, Taiwan and Hong Kong would almost certainly rank among the top performers. On the other hand, few nations have, few nations have mismanaged the crisis as badly as the US and the UK. Craig on Lantau says, Hong Kong Post has accepted my money and promised to deliver two ML packages to families in the, family in the UK. Both of these parcels were posted three weeks ago, and looking at the online tracking, both are still in Hong Kong. 
While I accept there are far fewer flights between the UK and here, the Hong Kong Post Office communication on this has not been acceptable. They should be offering to return my parcels and reimburse postage fees or let senders upgrade to Speedpost, which should be able to complete online. Please get them in and lined up for a grilling. Craig, thank you very much. This is not the first such email we've received, and indeed I've experienced similar problems with the postal system myself. We have tried on a number of occasions to get Hong Kong Post on to uh, discuss this topic, but so far without success, but uh, we'll, we'll try again. Um, Andrew says... Uh, New York is a city of 8.6 million. Hong Kong is a city of 7.3 million. Hong Kong has a hard land border with mainland China. Until a month ago, had hundreds of thousands of visitors from cities in China, including an express train link with Wuhan itself. New York does not. New York reported its first case of the virus on March the 1st. Hong Kong reported its first case on January the 22nd. New York has completely closed down its economy and gone into full lockdown. Hong Kong has not. As I write, Hong Kong has less than a 1,000 cases of virus still with four deaths. New York has 139,000 cases with 5,489 deaths. I very much like Governor Cuomo and think he is doing a very good job as compared to the US federal government response. But I'm not sure he is in a position to start telling us what to do just yet. And if we can go here, just a... uh, couple more for the moment. Um, yes. uh, S says, I am not American, but why blame Trump? Wasn't it the WHO playing down the COVID-19 outbreak? Even then, Trump tried to close borders and he was lambasted. And finally, David says, England is a cheapskate country. They even now can't supply their frontline nurses with proper protective clothing. Up until recently, nurses weren't allowed to wear masks in hospital. What a big incompetent management problem. Much as social distancing is okay, wearing a mask to stop people coughing over food and people in shops is more practical. Thank you very much, Jay. And on the topic of how England has handled the coronavirus outbreak, uh, let's bring in columnist Chip Cho. Uh, Good morning, Chip. Hello, good morning. Now, you you were in the UK recently, right? Yes, I was there, and, uh, well, earlier I did try to wear my mask. Walking briefly on the street, I did get occasionally gawked at, and later they found out that, you know, Asian habit of wearing a mask may not be a bad thing. Now, I just wonder, as an as a Hong, Asian Hong Konger, when I wore a mask walking the street of London, why did I get gawked at or ridiculed? Whereas a Muslim woman, immigrant woman, doing the same thing, right, we wouldn't get that treatment. Why? Because it's a matter of political correctness. Because uh, those, those arrogant, elite, metropolitan Londoners, if they say, dare say anything about mask-wearing, a mask-wearing Muslim uh, 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 immigrant, they would be branded a racist or... That kind of remark may earn them a few rounds of terrorist bullets, whereas Hong Kongers don't do that sort of thing. Now, that's one thing. The other thing is this bizarre term of herd uh, immunity <laughs> as a part of Darwinism or whatever. a thing to theory. And eventually we see a, uh, a, a, crime, a British prime minister walking around just like a naked little emperor without any protective cloak, and then you end up in the ICU. 
Why? Because this little Winston Churchill wannabe <laughs> could not be compared with the real Churchill. Churchill, during his ten wilderness years as a backbencher, had long foreseen the danger of Hitler in Europe together with Nazism. And he kept warning the British Baldwin government that a big storm was about what's gathering. And uh, Boris Johnson uh, has, uh, has uh, embraced Huawei, and he thinks that Huawei poses no threat, and he thinks the, uh, the a big appended state in the Far East is a benign or even friendly country to do business with. Now, that is the flaw of his personality and his ill judgment, right? And, <laughs> and, but there are many reasons, right? Many reasons. But I would point out these two. The I... prejudice on the mark and the ill judgment of this tiny Winston Churchill wannabe. <laughs> Okay, you've pretty much damned um, how Britain's handling the um, the virus. Uh, from your own experience, is there, was, is there anything positive? I mean, did you see any? I mean, the way the country rallies around the National Health Service or anything else? Well, I mean, uh, as, uh, as the, um, the Health Secretary of America recently said, they have reached the Pearl Harbor moment. Now, in the past three years, we have seen, I don't know whether they are propaganda staff, British movies like The Darkest Hour and Dunkirk. I hope the British, right, where the Queen has uh, correctly cited the reference of very Lynn's song, We'll Meet Again. I hope the British would just recall the spirit of the Blitz and treat this as the war properly. Stop messing around. You don't live in the 1990 world of uh, love, actually or Notting Hill, or four weddings and a funeral. This is going to be a war. Come on. So I'm glad as I left London and I thought I could, I, as, I, as I was leaving London, I saw Londoners were beginning, were starting to treat the matter more seriously. And they started wearing masks. And I thought, oh, what a beautiful thing. They have accepted this multiculturalism so that I would not get this. Now, you're a great Anglophile, Chip. You're still going to be going back to London in future. Well, that's the thing. Come on. I mean, I'm no Anglophile. Okay, well, whether or not you're... Just, what have I described? How have I described okay. British Prime Minister? But, but, I'm impartial and balanced. You, UK is still a very, very popular destination for Hong Kong people. People, for many people, it's still the first choice to send their kids to to study. Do you think that's going to change as a result of this? Are people going Not to say only just Hong Kong, Chinese as well? Okay, but let's focus on the Hong Kong side for the moment. Are, are Hong Kong uh, parents going to say, "I'm not going to send my kids to the the, the UK okay, anymore"? Hong or... Kong parents still look up to the UK. There's former colonial master as a nation of civilization. I spoke to the Harrow Online Education Director yesterday, who feels very confident about attracting further more Hong Kong students from, uh, from Hong Kong to get online education with Harrow starting in September. Right? This is a 
only a tiny and brief setback. Like all Hong Kongers are Anglophiles, including Donald Jung, including uh, C. Wyler and uh, Carrie Lam. Yeah, they've all had family educated in UK, haven't, haven't that, they? That is an important point. We, we look at how the UK is handling it and we all criticise it, perhaps with, with a lot of justice, but Chip, you're saying that's not going to, in the end, change uh, fundamental attitudes to, um, to, to going off well, to the UK, I mean, buying the flats UK, and so on. The UK is, is a big country. I think the psychology of Londoners. They think they are a cool breed. Londoners think that, oh, they all work in the city, they are elites, you know. The beautiful cities have been a bit of a background of a few a beautiful Hollywood movies, and they think they are a little bit more superior than those Brexit supporters in the countryside. <laughs> Hong Kong students did not have to, did not have to perform a Dunkirk campaign from their boarding schools. I have been talking to some boarding school headmasters. Now you don't have to, you don't have to close down the boarding schools. Just look at your own geographical location, right? Some boarding schools are far away in the countryside. A boarding school itself is a closed to public, a closed area. You could just close the door and announce that business, business, and classes will go usual. So we'll right, but but cancelling all the outward fun activities. No trips to London, no term break, and everyone stays there. Right? But now it's the boarding schools that panic. That shocked me a little bit. Boarding schools are the backbone of Britishness. And uh, their performance or their behavior during this break Okay, stay, yeah. stay with us, Chip. That's Chip, columnist Chip Cho. Uh, let me bring in some uh, comments coming in from uh, listeners. Um, uh, Jay says, England, like... Oh, this is pretty harsh, actually. Uh, England, like America, will save a fortune on old-age pension bills and old people's care homes. And this is what it's all about, money and budgets. Um, and if you'll just bear with me for a moment, um, we also have Mike, who was... Uh, Mike was on the phone uh, before the news, and Mike has now followed up. You had the mayor of New York tell us to which Broadway play to go when they should have been locking up the city. You have New Orleans and Mardi Gras. They are paying for it now. So much for social distancing. Is Governor Cuomo doing a great job? He is now, Johnny come lately. Misplaced ventilators, 4,000 misplaced in New York. I sent my New York ER doctor son six months of supplies on Saturday. He got them yesterday. Thank you very much to FedEx. Uh, Mike, you also have a defender. Uh, Paul, as he emailed in, when Mike was, was on before, I, I suggested to Mike that um, he seemed to be bringing things uh, back to Trump. Um, and uh, Paul, responding, says, it's not caller Mike who politicised the pandemic. It was yourselves. You asked your guests what the US administration had done to contain the outbreak and uh, jumped at the opportunity to wade in against Trump by citing a hostile news agency, in other words, CNN. Please keep wide. Please keep your why do you always politicise things to the people responsible for it in the future. Thank you very much indeed, Paul. Uh, we're now joined uh, by Joseph Lee. Joseph Lee, the health care sector lawmaker. Good morning, Mr Lee. Good morning. 
Mr. Lee, wouldn't you agree that Hong Kong has done really comparatively well uh, when you look at the performance of other countries and what we've been hearing about, and particularly about the US this morning? How, how is morale within the sector? Do people feel that sense of satisfaction or are they still concerned, angry with the government? What's it like with it at the front line? So if, if you simply look at those figures, it would be um, probably that well, Hong Kong is doing better uh, than other countries in quotation. What well, I want to stress is, and simply because, well, if you look at the size of population, it would be different. That, that really matters. And as far as I think uh, up till this moment, as you can see, uh, the um, confirmed cases figures still in a double digit. Uh, that means, well, community outbreak, this uh, so-called second wave community outbreak, still extended and continued. That's really worrying. And uh, that's number one. The second point is about the um, sentiment of the frontline workers. As you can see, uh, the patients uh, admitted into the hospital, public hospital, was being increased. And so that is really worrying in terms of manpower, in terms of equipment, especially uh, the real situation is when the first line isolation watch, uh, well, uh, claiming that the uh, occupancy rate is quite full, so the hospital authority is trying to extend, um, to extend the admission and, and try to open the second line isolation watch, uh, try to mobilize those um, rehabbed confirmed cases, that means those uh, patients who have symptoms are mild and is in the, progressing, uh, in the process of recovery and mobilize this patient to a second isolation ward, and that is the plan. Or even the hospital authority claimed that they are trying to uh, make use of the private hospital to admit this kind of patient. And uh, the logistic uh, is very important because, as you can see, uh, the, whether the standard and the quality of this pathway, that means the infrastructure of the isolation ward, still uh, performing uh, as isolation purposes. That means that where the negative pressure is okay, and the uh, air filter is okay, the air exchange rate is okay, but that really matters. And uh, number two is when there is shortage of manpower existing in the front line, so uh, the uh, general watch nurses or doctors are trying to be mobilized to uh, serve in this second line isolation ward. And the point is whether refresher chain training, that means in infrastructure control and that kind of training, has to be given to this batch of front line workers. Otherwise, the risk of causing infection might be high. And that's the point that uh, has to be uh, 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 bear in mind. And the third point is about <clears throat> the existing isolation ward and also in general ward. Uh, the um, use of the personal protective equipment has come to our concern. As you can see, the increased number of patients being admitted into the hospital wards. Then there is uh, evidence that the extended use or simply reuse of N95 masks, which is a very important measure to protect the nurses and the patient as well, has uh, come into question. The hospital authority even uh, try to claim that they are trying to uh, source the possibility of disinfecting the N95 masks, which is coming into question. And the other point is the, the different models of N95 masks uh, are announced. Uh, uh, the, the amount of the stock is in question. So uh, frontline nurses is, and doctors are worrying about whether they use the model is uh, having been uh, fit themselves or not. But if not, well, the leakage uh, of the N95 mask might have chance of risk of having uh, infection. 
uh, as the stocks of the uh, personal power equipment uh, come to concern, and, and it happens that uh, the various kind of protective clothing are, are, are being circulated among the front line, and that causes a lot of confusion, whether in which level, in which grade of hydrogen for research is different kind of protective clothes, that caused a lot of confusion. And as you can see, the hospital authority are trying to revise or even scale down the infectious control guideline. That makes the frontline people more confused. And uh, the, uh, the latest uh, 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 report from the frontline is that uh, the hospital authority tried to uh, use uh, so-called reuse face shield and glucose. That means individual nurses or doctors uh, are being, uh, 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 being um, issued uh, their own goggles or face mask or face uh, shield. That is, the kind of, that is one kind of protective equipment. But interestingly, because this is a reused item, for the hospital authority to provide no procedures or guidelines on this uh, on this infecting this uh, reused item, they even make the frontline more people more confused. Uh, Joseph Lee, how about ventilators? We we always see these uh, alarming stories from US, UK about desperate shortages of ventilators. We don't hear the same thing in Hong Kong. Why is that? Is there no shortage uh, uh, of ventilators in Hong Kong? Well, why do we not have the uh, these alarming stories in Hong Kong? Well, fortunately or unfortunately, one point I have to mention is the in intensive care unit. And my understanding from the frontline people is that. Uh, uh, Fortunately, well, um, most of patients are not in very serious legal condition. They are not required to be admitted into the uh, intensive control unit. So the use of ventilator in the, in in the uh, in intensive care unit is still, uh, still uh, uh, so-called uh, adequate, but because for the, uh, the serious case is not too many in the, in the uh, infectious control unit. And that the situation is quite different from overseas. Presumably because we've got this good overall strategy of picking up cases early, so you begin the treatment early and so on. I'd like to ask whether there's any um, good forum or communication uh, links between the hospital authority and the frontline staff. These problems that you've been talking about, do the staff have a good way of, of communicating them to the bosses? Well, I myself, as representative of the uh, frontline people and also the Association of Hong Kong Nursing Staff in a trade union, have uh, continuous communication with our frontline, and we all, all always use different forms of even social media and try to uh, bring all this message to the hospital authority. But unfortunately, I think the hospital see the response from the hospital authority is quite bureaucratic and slow, and that, costs, uh, that, that is quite worrying. Okay, and um, how, how worried are you if there's a continued escalation of cases? Can the hospital system in Hong Kong cope? I mean, you look at US, UK, they tell people not to go to hospital if, until, until your condition gets serious. Is that something we might have to do at some stage in the future in Hong Kong? So, uh, that is quite worrying because, uh, as you can see now, there's still double digits of confirmed cases identified in Hong Kong. So... Um, uh, and unfortunately, uh, people have to be admitted into isolation ward. And the, I was uh, told that the occupancy rate of the isolation ward currently is up to over 70%, which is quite a, an alarming, uh, alarming figure. So I think the hospital uh, authority or the government have to look at possible ways to triage those patients, like I just mentioned the second line isolation ward, uh, to triage those milder cases 
for recovery and also identify more pace or uh, more venues for those uh, quarantine centers just to make sure that uh, not every diagnostic cases has to be admitted, especially for those cases you might not need immediate treatment. That might be possibly um, being charged to so-called those uh, second-line isolation ward or even other areas for uh, having uh, mild treatments, and that would be one of the strategies. But having said that, uh, the manpower has come to our question, and also uh, refreshing infectious control training uh, should be in place in order to uh, 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 safeguard those measures and the operations of the so second-line isolation ward or triage Okay, thank you very much. You just heard uh, Joseph Lee, uh, healthcare sector lawmaker. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Uh, we'll go back to our other guests, but let me first bring in a few more comments from listeners coming in. Uh, John says, the strategy being deployed by Trump and his sycophants is quite clear. Blame someone else. Blame anyone else. It's the fault of the states. It's the fault of China. It's the fault of, as of yesterday, the, uh, as of today, sorry, the WHO. Trump has the virtue of being totally transparent in his self-serving attempts to deflect the blame. When he was running for office, he said the leader has to bear responsibility. But now he does everything he can to dodge responsibility for the horrific failure of his administration to take any meaningful action to prevent hundreds of thousands of Americans from dying from this disease. Peter says, I'm not sure how the New York governor came to the view that Hong Kong let its guard down. In fact, Hong Kong has been progressively ratcheting up containment measures. However, the government has made some significant mistakes, in particular giving students and other returnees sufficient advance notice of the introduction of quarantine measures to enable thousands to rush back to beat the deadline. That was a major error. And uh, to uh, Suzanne, uh, Suzanne Satellin still with us. Uh, John says, mm -hmm. um, I just discovered Suzanne Satellin and her tweets. Ridiculous. She's tweeting advice for Hong Kong. She's not been here for months, and the U.S. has about 400,000 cases and uh, several thousand deaths. Uh, Suzanne, well, I think you, you said up front that you've not been here for months. Yes, and I want to know what advice I'm giving Hong Kongers. <laughs> Hong Kongers are helping me by gifting masks to people in America. Um, really an alarming... Uh, Hi, Suzanne, you still there? And they read. <laughs> Sorry, can you repeat that? We lost you for a moment. You're saying uh, you... I said, really, I, I, said I, I, I don't believe I've been giving advice to Hong Kongers because I haven't been there, and I have been clear that I wasn't there. And I said that Hong Kongers have been very, very kind in sending me masks that I have donated to doctors, nurses, and EMTs. And several of our listeners are actually very critical of these comments by the New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, saying Hong Kong made a mistake in letting its guard down. Do, do you have any comments on that? No, I really, I mean, I think so much of this, I, I've got to tell you, I think so, so much of this is, it's, there are so many dire needs and, and, and important things to talk about in this story um, and in this, in this pandemic. Um, and to... Uh, I don't want to engage in this issue the way CNN does. I don't want to spend an hour uh, blaming Trump. I really want to find masks and figure out why there are still such shortage of ventilators and other types of equipment. Um, I want to know why 
uh, impoverished Americans are seeing much higher rates of massive infections than middle class and upper class Americans. And I do want to know um, why is it that people in Hong Kong who are very much um, um, angry at the government nonetheless have been rather compliant with the government. I mean, it's, it's been, I mean, the sociology behind this pandemic or surrounding this pandemic is fascinating. And I just think there's so many more interesting things to talk about than to blame leaders at this point, because it just doesn't help us live our lives and get the help to people that need it. Okay, let, let's just put that point. Chip Cho, you're still with us. Chip Cho? Yeah, I am. Uh, you agree? Yeah. So many more interesting things than blaming leaders? Uh, yeah, quite a few. I mean, the grass is always greener next door. That's how the New York mayor would interpret Hong Kong uh, or perceive uh, about Hong Kong, right? I think nobody dig deep. Well, very few dig deep. Either Don Donald Trump or Boris Johnson or Prime Minister Abbey, they have all been believing in what the WHO said. Now, the WHO, together with its Ethiopian director, we all know is a nest of liars and crooks. <laughs> right? That's quite strong the language. The British have been surprisingly, the British have been so gullible. I mean, Boris Johnson has been more or less like Othello rather than Winston Churchill. Come on. I mean, WHO, what a joke. And Donald Trump did believe in what the WHO said. The WHO did not recommend uh, people to wear masks, right? They follow the Chinese line. And we all know how, how credible China is. <laughs> so that is the root cause of the whole joke. And it is, it is a sad and bitter joke. OK, I think, thank you very much, Chip. We'll, we'll leave it there. Um, that was Chip Cho, uh, columnist and commentator, who was recently in the UK. Uh, our thanks also to uh, Susan Satterley, an independent journalist in the US. Um, and earlier, you also heard from uh, Joseph Lee, um, healthcare sector lawmaker. Thank you also, Rachel. Uh, that's all Always for, a pleasure. for today. Uh, the weather forecast, uh, it'll be mainly cloudy, dry with sunny periods during the day. Maximum temperature will be around 22 degrees. Uh, currently 20 degrees, relative humidity 75%. We'll be back tomorrow. To prevent the spread of COVID-19, try flexible working hours and staggered meal breaks. Wear a mask on public transport. Avoid crowded lifts. Try not to hold large meetings and reduce face-to-face -face contact with colleagues. Avoid meal gatherings. Stay away from crowds after work. Wash hands frequently and keep the workplace clean. If you feel unwell, stay away from work and see your doctor. Visit coronavirus.gov.hk for details. The news with Samantha Butler. The government has announced it'll extend its social distancing measures until April the 23rd and beauty and massage parlours will join the list of venues that are already closed to curb the spread of COVID-19. The measures limit public gatherings to four people and reduce restaurant seating capacity. Gyms, cinemas, karaoke, bars and nightclubs will remain closed for another two weeks. President Trump has accused the World Health Organization of bias towards China and performing badly in the coronavirus pandemic. He threatened to freeze U.S. funding to the WHO, but then backtracked, saying he would strongly consider such a move.
And the acting secretary of the Navy in the United States, Thomas Modley, has resigned after criticism of his handling of a crisis in which the commander of a ship stricken by coronavirus was removed from his post. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Cheers, Sam. Very good morning to you. Wednesday the 8th of April, this is James Ross. In for Phil once more on the Morning Brew Tell One. Whole load of stuff lined up for you today. Tell you more in a moment. Right now. 